Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a composer, arranger, and piano player from San Francisco, California, Oddity. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have Oddity with us and her piano player, Joey. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, Excited pleasure. for this conversation. Pleasure. Okay. Well, ma'am, could you please introduce yourself first and then we'll get to Joey? For sure, yeah. Um, so, I'm Oddity. It's the name of me as well as the band. Um, Basically, I'm a jazz nerd that loves Billy Strayhorn and D'Angelo. And unfortunately, that means I have to sing. You know, I started out as an instrumentalist, but in order to follow my idols, now I'm also a singer songwriter. And a lot of the stuff that um, we write is like very much like soul jazz or like hip hop related. Okay. Okay, cool. And how did you start the band? What made you go there? And how did D'Angelo yeah. become your role model for the jazz? Um, I guess, like, we all met, actually, when I was still going through undergrad at um, Cal locally. Um, and most of the cats that we've been playing for, like, five, six years, like our bassist, Noah, um, yeah, we met through the UC Jazz Department um, at Cal. And then um, what was that second question? How did you get D'Angelo as one of your main motivators for your your sound? Mm. Well, I think, like, <laughs> my music, at least, like, the music that I listen to has always been a little bit, like, um, not super, like, I never really listened. Like, when I was growing up, I listened to primarily, like, classical. And, like, my parents would play a lot of, like, crooner-type jazz. Primarily, honestly. Um, and it wasn't until high school in which I serendipitously got involved with um, the jazz stuff on campus. I was playing classical trombone at the time, and there was like not enough trombonists in the big band. So I got introduced to jazz in high school and then got just like obsessed, honestly. And uh, I don't even remember the first time I heard D'Angelo. It must have been, I feel like my introduction do D'Angelo and also, you know, more of that Neo Soul and then also more like hip hop stuff really came throughout college, honestly. Yeah, I remember that's that's definitely the first time I heard D'Angelo was in college. And that that definitely blew my mind at the time. Okay. Uh since you said something, could you introduce yourself too, Joey? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um my name's Joey Escobar. Um I am a, actually a Sacramento Sacramento local. I moved around a lot as a kid. Um, never really played much music in like elementary school or anything. I mostly just, I, I'm one of 10 kids. So I mostly just kind of like horsed around at home with my family and never really went out. We, we were kind of poor, so I didn't have a ton of money. But then um, in around middle school, I started playing trumpet, um, started playing piano on my own. And uh, I just started trying to learn like, you know, Final Fantasy songs. Uh, my older sister joined joined the the jazz the jazz at, at, in her high school. I forget where I forget where it was. I think Paso Robles High. Shout out to Paso Robles. Uh, 
that's a uh, <laughs> a suburb of San Luis Obispo, I think, somewhere <laughs> along the line, along that I eighty. Uh, but yeah, I think ever since then, I, I like yeah. Once I started playing piano on my own, I realized you could just like print sheet music from the internet and just read it, and it sounded great. Um, yeah, I just kind of took off from there, and you know, I did jazz in high school. I went to UC Berkeley, uh, you know, started really actually studying and, and learning a little bit more. And then um, funnily enough, I met Maddie by teaching. Maddie was a trombone player at the UC Jazz Ensemble at the time. But she was also going towards keys. Um, she was trying to get a little bit more into like the jazz piano harmony stuff. Um, and yeah, like she took my she took this like little beginning jazz class that I was teaching on keys. And then uh, it was very obvious that she was a talented musician, you know, um, and we, we ended up hanging out and playing like, you know, Smash Bros and stuff together. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I guess to add some context to that, yeah, um, it was pretty crazy. Like when I first came to um, Berkeley, you know, life is stressful and I was experiencing like for the first time some really terrible like armature issues. Because um, I actually didn't have much like instruction with trombone growing up either, and it was sort of self-taught as well. And um, it was around that time where the armature issues got so bad that I had to like take almost like a two-year break away from the instrument. And so, like you know, Bill Evans, I think, had been someone that I'd been listening to a lot, you know, <laughs> in the throes of it. <laughs> and um, yeah, I feel I think that going to jazz keys was definitely um a way for me to like get connected with like feeling the music again um which ironically now i think the next step for me is like actually producing and like writing bars interestingly enough um but yeah i don't want to get too ahead of myself no 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 but that's we cool met man i'm curious because your sound i like it's unique at least to me i told you about the track i love on your it's the second album, correct? Part yeah, two? Yeah, so that's um, part two, yes. And part three, it's all going to be... It's essentially one super long album, but part three is coming out, like, mid-March. Okay. Is it going to have more sounds like Lifeblood, or is it going to be different? So, yeah, um, this... The first and the second part were both maybe 12 and 15 minutes each. Um, and part three is, like, 25 minutes at least um I, I, yeah I, I would say that the the style of the album is definitely shifting and i i wouldn't expect anything explicitly like lifeblood i think icarus is pretty close actually i think yeah yeah icarus is icarus is similar we're just talking about songs that are coming out soon but like the, the concept behind the album is sort of like loosely uh loosely following the seasons where each season kind of embodies a different you know journey where we through our development where we change in some some aspect and i think part two of the album kind of has a lot of the high energy sort of uh you know kind of goofing around in college sort of vibes you know um and, you know it's more more of the prog rock almost with the i, I think you're talking about lifeblood right mm -hmm. yes yes yeah um so I, you know I, I wouldn't expect i wouldn't expect it to stay exactly the same um, yeah i think part three um it really gets to a more like vulnerable and to be honest like depression almost like a very it's it sort of like has most of the songs that I wrote and like I would say like the parts of my life that felt most related to like 
the death that comes before rebirth and rebirth is part four. The That's death the that, okay, go into that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, part three. Okay. I guess we'll start from part one and yes, there's that seasonal sort of theme to it, but on a more like less conceptual level, you know, it's just sort of the story, at least the Odyssey is, is kind of abstracted away, but it's essentially just a story of like um, my own journey in terms of, you know, as a transgender person, sort of like discovering that maybe everything is not really as it seems, you know, that I think that was more part two. And then part three is sort of realizing that there is actually a lot about myself and a lot that I need to let go of and to grieve um, in order to move on as like some a version of myself that feels more true to like and more embodied to like my current experience. So essentially it's just like a, a transgender narrative and part three is definitely like it's it's primarily full of like you know really angsty jazz ballads <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is um one of my favorite things to say really angsty jazz ballads um i, I personally hate the word angsty i would never apply no, it no. to my own ballads but matt you know he loves it but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah part three there's honestly just some really like messed up shit on there like i'm, I'm thinking of putting like a trigger one to be honest like some of the tracks on there are honestly like super dark, like super, like music. The music that, to be honest, I wouldn't want to listen to yeah, recreationally. It's not, it's not easy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That but, being said, yeah, there's right, definitely there's definitely it's not like 25 minutes straight of complete depression because you know it's always been my like sort of philosophy that if you really want to make something sad as shit, you gotta have some like, <laughs> you've gotta like contrast it with like the beauty you know um so there's definitely a couple tracks on part three that are more uplifting or like at least faster paced but those tracks especially the one that we're talking about Icarus you know it's almost like it's very energetic and like but in the sense of almost chasing like a delusion or like running away from something like it doesn't feel entirely like natural if that makes sense Okay. We'll probably make more sense once they all hear it. <laughs> this is got even more interesting yeah. to me. So if you don't mind me asking, so how did this whole trans journey actually affected your music? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, like, I have been writing songs for maybe six years now maybe a little bit earlier than that, but six years now. And I came out of like, you know, not people have beef with that term coming out, but I sort of did the whole shebang and like changed the presentation and everything, maybe around like a little more than like four years ago. And during that entire time when I was writing songs, you know, I don't think I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to write these songs that all like tell this sort of like complicated narrative of things. Um, but instead, I think what it was is that like, if I would write a certain song just based off how I was feeling. 
Um, and it was just like over time after accumulating like quite a few, like a pretty large discography, seeing like the, and this is something that I think that is so beautiful about music in general, or at least writing music for me personally. It's just that like, I found that in, cause you know, I think that music, especially composition emerges, at least my favorite music emerges from the subconscious and is made conscious. And the way that manifests for me is that a lot of my songs will tell my story before I even consciously know it mm. um, in ways that are more poignant than I can even realize at the time. And so it wasn't until maybe about a year or two ago where like two years ago where I sort of realized like, oh, wait, like, you know, because I'm super influenced by hip hop and Kendrick has some amazing concept albums, you know, Good Kid, Good Kid Mad City is straight up supposed to be like a film. And that idea just kept on sticking in my mind. And eventually it was like, wait, like all these songs, like there is like a, a thread going through them. And, you know, I think that as a trans person, I do think a lot about. <laughs> yeah, about what? It's okay. About presentation to the wider public. I would say I think a lot about like what what parts of a personhood is something that others might not even question as innate are like sort of put onto them and sort of learned through like you know, maybe your parents or society. Mm. And there's like a lot of certain aspects to like what it even means to be a person that I think that personally, I think that um, why like the idea of transhood can be so scary to a lot of people is that it really, in a way that is more like upfront and like cannot be like looked away from, like it really makes people really consider the sort of, um, the sort of nature of reality in the sense that like so much of our reality is like what has been like what not only what we make of it but also what like others sort of contribute to like an overall idea of like quote-unquote reality um, and I think that there's a lot of a lot of things about us that we might think as innate that is essentially you know from literally from as young as you can be it's like all right if you're born a boy you have to like be strong you have to be like both like emotionally like not showing much and then also physically strong you have to be there's like so many expectations that are placed upon us from um as long as you know from day one and i think that um it a theme that has been coming up for me like more and more and just like just very present throughout my life is the idea of like death and rebirth and like what aspects about myself do I really have to let go in order to like move on and like live an embodied life and I think that extends to beyond just like transness you know like I think okay but what I think is my struggle that you had to give up music wise to experience more this more because you were saying that as a male, you have to, or you're supposed to show X, Y, Z and not A, B, C. Yeah, I mean, like, even, I'm just thinking right now, like, when my voice changed and, like, 
maybe it was like end of seventh or eighth grade, I quit singing something that I'd loved for like my entire life. And then as soon as my voice dropped, like I completely just abandoned it until maybe about four or five years ago. Even now, like I think Can you ask that question one more time? <laughs> <laughs> what did you give up or feel you gave up to? Because you said when you were transitioning or when you're male, you're supposed to act a certain way versus if you're a female, you're supposed to act a certain way. How did that affect your music? As Did you feel like you have to give up something to bring, to bring something else up or bring something else out? Hmm. I don't know if it... I think if anything, like when I was still male presenting, the songs that I first started writing out were first started writing were basically just like <laughs> love songs, I guess. And I think I had this idea that like if I were if I was going to like make it in this, you know, music industry that I needed to write songs that catered to like as large of an audience as possible like like ooh, look how cool i am look how much money i can make look how much in love i am like just stuff that you know is very real to the human experience but also like doesn't really cut deep necessarily um yeah and i think part of transitioning has really been like okay what if i peel away the mask and the facades and everything else that I've been told like, this is what people will like, then what's left for me to present about myself, you know? Um, okay. That's fair. That's fair. So let me ask you a different set of questions, if you don't mind. Of course. Okay. So in the scene where you're at in San Diego, you're no, not San Diego, you're in San Francisco, right? Yeah, around. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Is this more of the sound that's becoming popular in terms of jazz? No more mm. straight ahead, no more bebop? Is it mainly like stuff like this? Oh, okay. It? Let me let me choose my words carefully here. Ah, come on. Um, you can't, you're not going to offend anybody. I might. Honestly, I might. Um, <laughs> Trust me, I've been on the record for saying jazz is going to be dead in like 20 years at this rate. Um, to be honest, like, you know, in, in the Bay Area, it's interesting. I mean, you got it. It's a microcosm of like the larger scene. Like straight ahead is still certainly like the dominant um, scene. Is like if you go to any jam sessions or like the places that really have patronage towards jazz is still, I would say, more so in the straight ahead. Yeah, straight ahead. Is the, straight ahead is the classical music of jazz in this scene, and the, and the underground like the hip hop jams that kind of stuff is is not. If it's profitable, if, I, I don't think it's profitable at the entry level or anything. And, and it's harder to find gigs you know, for stuff like that. What I'm most inspired about in the Bay right now is like, I think there is a really thriving scene that lies at the intersection of like the neo-soul, hip-hop and jazz scenes um, that I think is actually just, there's so much talent here, you know, with them. <laughs> just crazy amounts of talent out here when it comes to like and the thing is like if you ask a lot of these jazz heads they're like they'll be like that's not jazz like that's beat music that's hip-hop that's this that's that and it's like even with the stuff that i'm making like 
a lot of times like I'll try to present it to like more jazz based things and they're like that's not jazz you know I think Lifeblood is honestly probably the most jazzy track that we have like in the most traditional sense and it's it's a little ironic to me that I mean I guess it makes sense because the algorithm only knows how to digest things that are easily digestible if that makes sense and so but it's kind of yeah, it's kind of I do agree it's on that. kind of it is kind of like ugh like I make so much like Lifeblood is an, was supposed to be a 30 second interlude you know, it's supposed to be a 30 second interlude and like it really does not reveal anything about my soul. It's like in terms of in terms of like my music, it's not it doesn't say much, to be honest. And yet it's my most listened to track by far. And so that's something interesting to think about. No, I moment. get you on that. But like you- I tell people, if you go to a lot of jazz festivals, they don't have jazz acts as the main, you know, attraction. For so. sure. But I guess to, to answer your question, like if if I don't think there's a lot of people doing like, OK, if if I exist at the intersection of of jazz, neo soul and hip hop, I would say there are a ton of people doing similar things out here in the Bay. I would say I'm probably the most leaning towards jazz out of anybody out here that I know of within that crowd. And I think that and the people that I talk to that are also super have that jazz background, but they make like super sick beats, for example, like there's a lot of like contention from the jazz community towards that type of music. Um, and they almost don't even want the association with jazz. Yeah, you don't, you don't see them at jazz jams very you, often, not except, only... except for like the ones who really have tons of jazz chops already, who want to who wanna play straight ahead, like Julio, for instance, yeah. who does like the hip hop shit. Um, we're talking about Julio Chetto, who's a really mm. great bassist in the area. That's uh, Jazz Thug. Our homie Jazz Thug plays with, you know, Thomas Pridgen, Javier Santiago. Um, so it's definitely, there is a lot of really cool shit happening in the Bay. Um, I don't think the stuff we're doing is necessarily like reinventing the wheel necessarily. It The music that I make just happens to be an amalgamation of you know, everything that I love most in, in music, which happens to be primarily like black music, um, as well as a little bit of like French Impressionism, <laughs> um, which to be honest, black music draws a lot from already. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's the only thing I will say about the Bay is that we definitely could use some more infrastructure. In and, um, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of, there's no like big labels, industry, A&R, like there's no like everything that LA has that's supposed to be like good for industry, like the Bay doesn't really have. Like everybody that makes it out here, essentially from the smallest to largest scale is doing it independently. And um, even with like the most popular Bay Area music of the past, like 30, 40 years, I think the Bay has sort of struggled to get their music heard outside of their own scene, you know, even with like bringing up the hyphy movement, like, like the people that know will know, but I think the Bay, at least from what I've seen, it's just like our struggles, maybe that were too chill. Maybe <laughs> we're not, we're I not mean, trying to smoke in too much weed and shit. It's I like, feel that. Well, we're not going to go into the weed part right now, <laughs> but 
<laughs> I honestly see most of the jazz art jazz artists right now, unless they're older and established, is pretty much all independent based. So for that's sure, at least sure. nationwide, if not worldwide. Yeah, for sure. Because even a lot of the young the the British sound, like the new British London sound, those yes, are pretty much like people. Alchemist and those folks. Yeah, they're pretty much all independently based. Also, some of them have record deals yeah. now. Like, uh, sure. Cross got signed to Blue Note recently, but pretty much mm. all the other ones are still small based. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I, I'm not really discouraged at the moment in terms of, like, the Bay. Like, I think that we are really just starting to, like, build our little niche out here. And, like, I'm definitely invested in, like, what can we do for Oakland, you know? It's like, well, how can we create more resources for artists out here because I think that's the biggest struggle that we have is that the Bay Area is probably the entire nation, if not the world, the hardest hit by like tech gentrification. And everything out here is absurdly expensive and so many artists are just moving away. And I think for me- Texas exodus. Oh, the Texas exit. Oh yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, but even for artists, like there are so many, so many of our talent just goes down to LA, you know. And for I can understand why, but um, for me, like the Bay is my home. Like, and I really, I think that wherever you're, wherever you are, like you can try to build a scene yourself if if you don't really see one there, you know. So I'm, I'm still, I'm not feeling really discouraged at all. If anything, like I'm scheming. <laughs> I mean, uh, a few episodes ago, too, I was talking about, even the last episode, I was talking about people, a lot of artists exiting New York City, not just because of the last pandemic, but because they get burned out trying to make it into the scene. But then Mm -hmm. a lot of that is because they're going for a certain sound. And to be honest, a lot of people just really aren't listening to that certain sound anymore. For sure. And I will, how should I put it, more, like, is there a mainstream jazz person right now? Like one that everyone in the household knows all over the Um, country? All over the country, I think you got to give it right now. I mean, more strictly jazz, probably like Domi and J.D. Beck. Like, I mean, of course, that's not like a name. That's not really straight ahead traditional jazz, though. It's, I mean... To me, it is. <laughs> to you, it is. I'm talking about to a. When people think of jazz, I don't even think they're thinking of that. I think they're, they're thinking. They're thinking of. Yeah. They're thinking of Herbie Hancock. Okay, they're I mean, if Herbie. they're thinking of that, then it's probably like Connie Hahn or something, right? Or like, I don't know. <laughs> no, but this is this is my point. That I'm saying, I don't think there's a go-to person where people think of jazz. They think of X. Yeah. If I say pretty much any other genre of music. People can, can name them off the top of the head even if they don't listen to them. Like if I say what rap, about... people come could name like people. If I say country, people can name people. If I say probably even R and B, rhythm and blues and soul, they can name some people. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I think that's one. Of the what do you biggest... What do you think about is Thundercat jazz? No, love him. <laughs> okay. 
that, that that's surprising to me. I, I would definitely have called Thundercat Jazz myself. But I th- in the rain, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, but but he, he presents more like yeah, like hip hop, almost pop. He's more of a R and B hip hop type of thing. Like yeah, yeah. I mean, I know people well, who would say the roots are jazz. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, would I consider them jazz? Mm. More, more funk. Do I like sure. the roots? Yes. <laughs> For sure. And I think that's that's actually, you know, I think that is something that I think about a lot. Like, maybe it's because I am started out from such an old school frame of mind. Um, but yeah, there's really not a lot of people that are... Like, I think the way that jazz is merged with other genres is that jazz takes the backseat to, like, make the other genre cooler, essentially. (laughs) Whereas my hope is that, like, I don't know. I feel like there should be solos on more... (laughs) There should be more... You know what I'm saying? What happened to the trumpet solos in Shakira? What, solos in, like, (laughs) pop music? Like instrumental solos, yeah. Yes, where are the instrumental solos on other stuff? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, if I, you go I, to their concerts, they will rip a solo. It's just that in radio play, they have to fit in ads and all that stuff. That's why the song and the traditional 45 was very small and 78 record. That's for why. sure. And even, hmm? and even now, like, for playlists and radio, they want, like, three minutes max. You know what I'm saying? Correct. Like, and, and that's why Lifeblood popped off too, in a certain extent. But it's also like super frustrating. Like, I'm writing all these songs that are like six to eight minutes. That you know, it's like go throughout all these places, and it's just like it. It can be a little discouraging when, um, when honestly, like I think something that you're touching into right now is just like, oh god, I'm not gonna say okay, jazz is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't think it's dead. I say it's dying very fast. I, it, It'll be yes. dead soon. But a lot of artists don't want to modernize. And they're very stubborn. Mm. Like you just said, I, I write songs that are six to eight minutes long, but they want very minutes. Therefore, they get it on the radio, assuming that it even fits what they're looking for. Like commercial wise, pop wise, sound wise, it has to be three minutes. Well, you know, I think I will just, I think the problem is, is that like, I mean, not the only problem, but something that I've noticed is that like, in the end, like, what is the spirit of jazz, you know? The spirit of jazz is like improvisation. Not only is it improvisation, but it's like, it's like, it's like rebellion. It's, it's like the spirit of like trying new shit, like not like jazz has become so like, oh, like Winter Marsalis, you know, if you if it has this and that, oh, this is not jazz. This is not jazz. How many people back then like I'm picking up and look again. at her. I think Kirby's the best example. You know, I think the spirit of as the spirit of jazz by and large has transferred to hip hop, to be honest. I think like, Well that's it, that's a whole other thing, but if you want me to go there, I could go there. One reason why... Hip- <laughs> it's so funny. I, I have not... I feel like I haven't agreed with either of you in like 10 minutes. Okay, let's go. <laughs> I mean, my, my take is that all of this talk about labels and genres is kind of pointless 
Um, and not not pointless in the sense that like, oh, who cares what genre something is? Because it's genres are good. They're they're the way that we sort music in order to find what we like and understand it. But like using, for example, radio play or the three minute pop single is the metric of whether a genre is successful or not to me is is a little bit reductive of the emotional power of music the, the power of music is that if somebody hears something and it speaks to them in whatever in whatever shape or form then that music has power and and i think the way the places that people go to listen to new jazz to discover new music all types of genres that you know whatever whatever kind of random ass genres you know we to jazz core, whatever the hell people are listening to. It's like the spirit of jazz is much less about whether the actual quote unquote genre of jazz gets a lot of radio play. And it's more about whether what jazz is speaking to inside of the human experience okay. can live on in, in other genres because genres themselves are not so important. I mean, I, that's, I feel like that's a very idealistic stance because like, how are you going to get your music heard when nobody like there's like that's that's the problem is like you can make all the music that you think is cool and speaks from the soul and then when you actually have to like try to get it heard then you do have to worry about well this is not playable on radio for this and this reason or like i'm not going to be able to find anybody to like in the end to make art you have to have patronage you have to have funding you have to be able to publicize it there's so much and that's the part of the struggle I would agree with Aditi on that. And you also want to be able to not have a net loss every time you produce something. Oh, of course, yeah. So when you're in an <laughs> idealistic world, I mean, this is something right. I talked about with, like I said, the New York artists that I know getting burned out. So if you're working a second or even a third job to get your project out, mm-hmm. and then... You have five listeners a month on Spotify. You're mm-hmm. not getting any revenue in return. After a while, you're going to say to yourself, even if you don't want to, it's not worth it. For sure. But I think what I was originally trying to say is that I agree with you that a lot of modern, a lot of jazz artists today are not super willing to take into account that the current musical climate that they live in. Well, I don't think they ever really, because, you know, they only see the successful ones, super successful ones, like the Taylor Swifts. Mm. Yeah, it's it's funny, because right here, I, I would I would want to make almost a counterpoint. How, how many no-name pop musicians are there who have recorded, you know... There are a lot so of known like, name such, ones. Such amount of, like, two, you know, a couple albums of their own, like, home-produced shit that they make zero dollars at, but they... They 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 work at home job and they just but we're not talking about them because we're we're jazz folks. Well, no, you know? the, the reason why we're not talking about musicians. them is because there are plenty of jazz, all those other types of musicians that are able to like break out of that. Whereas within jazz, like okay, okay, here's the Esperanza Spalding, right? Is right. that that's the one, right? That people would know. That's one. Sure. But yeah, yeah. I, I even put Noah Jones in there. Yeah, yeah, Nora sure. Jones definitely. Sure. She she broke into pop through jazz, I would say. She's one of those one of those examples. But I guess to bring it back back, like yes, I mean, like I don't really care about genre too much, honestly. Like, I hate genre gatekeeping that I experience because, to be honest, I do experience a lot of it. Thing as like, my stuff is not. 
sometimes it's not jazz enough for the jazz folks. It's not like actually, it's not like straight up more neo soul, neo soul for that crowd. And sometimes it can be a little discouraging. Um, but, you know, to be honest, like, <laughs> and this is, I'm surprised I'm admitting this, but like jazz is only one mode of expression for me personally. I don't like as jazz will always be my home, but I'm I'm honestly starting to feel just sort of the restraint and like the sort of like there's so much. I think my heart is actually trending towards hip hop right now. Okay. And I think there's there's definitely going to be a lot of jazz elements in there. Um, I would respect it regardless. I'm just talking about that whole rabbit hole thing. How <laughs> a rabbit hole indeed. How deep do you want to go with it? How much is it really going to cost? Like, if you're complaining about it not being popular, what are you doing to make it popular? Why is it not popular? Like, all that stuff. And yeah. another thing mm -hmm. about hip-hop is you got to remember, it's cheaper and easier and exactly. faster to produce. Exactly. So. And that's actually the biggest beef that I have with jazz right now is that after I recorded this album, like, oh, my God. Like recording a jazz album is so expensive, like beyond what I could have conceived the expenses to be. And like, how can you ask? On a low end to get a quality, a, a low end top quality album. And this is assuming you could, you have your friends playing and your engineers hooking it up and you're not getting ripped on the studio. I would say 10K. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I mean, you did, you did extra. You did a lot of extra, like, you know, overdubbing and shit that took extra. No, we're talking I mean, about just one take and you nail right. it everything right the first time. No one's asking for a lot of money. They, right. they, I would say, yeah, 10K is 10K. And the thing is, like, that's for maybe like a 45 minute thing, yeah. you know, like my the whole thing is like an, at least an hour and a half, you know, and it's like that much music and it's not. And there's multiple takes of a lot of stuff. And we're like, the th <laughs> I don't know how comfortable I am talking about numbers, like specifically. No, it's cool. I, I'll, just from I'll, my numbers from experience. So sure, you don't need yeah, to tell I, yours. <laughs> I originally raised around 10K through um, a Kickstarter campaign, um, which I'm hella thankful for. And it was the first time where, you know, I think... I really realized like, hey, like if I actually try something out, like the universe might actually, you know. The community's got your back. Yeah, to a certain yeah. extent. Um, but, and not to downplay like how grateful I am for that campaign, but since then, like the costs have been over at least like double what I expected. Like it's, and it, while you know we are seeing some success you know and we've only done two parts and we're i'm doing this pretty much mostly by myself and um the thing is there is no guarantee right like let's say in the end for everything theoretically if i spent 30k on all aspects of promotion pr video, music videos you know literally everything let's say i spent 30k which is still not a lot of money to make an album, by the way. No, that's um, still extremely low. And if I even spending all that money, like out of my own pocket, out of my, my, to be honest, like my family's pocket, relying on like friends, it's like I'm putting myself into like 
not social debt. Not only social debt, just like very like real. Like I'm putting myself at risk to make this art, essentially. And it's like I can only hope that it will pay off in the end. And I think that like. Mm. That's the beautiful part of the music, though, and the art. Because, and, and I think that's like no matter if it pays off or not in the end. Like, I think just knowing that I did make that, you know, mostly for myself, honestly, but even for like, just knowing that I did, I think it'll be a great place to start. Because in the end, like, I think there, in in the approach to these types of things, I think there has to be a certain level of like being okay with what whatever possible whatever ends up happening, you know? Um and I think that a certain mentality that I'm hoping to carry going forward is just like I can't be too concerned of how the external world will receive what I'm trying to to do and say in this life. But I also have to be, have a certain belief in that, like, what I do and say in the art I make is not just like some pointless shouting to the void, you know, like there, I, in the same way that I cannot determine, like, the impact that my music will have on the world, like, in a positive way, I or like, how much impact, I can also not confidently say that my music will have no impact whatsoever, you know, and it's just like, knowing that there's something in between the lines there and it's like as long as i continue to like make art that i think people will help make people you know that reaches people in a certain way like that's all i can really ask for and honestly i feel just so grateful to even be able to like make this music yeah you know that much i gotta give with you because we don't know what's going to happen with our projects. We got to be thankful that we're able to release them. And I'm just more than happy if someone listens to it. Definitely. Yeah. Hey, and we've got, uh, you know, 25,000 listeners. Oh, now, my, my theory was, my theory was a few hundred people have listened to it a couple times. And then there's like one person who's listened to it like <laughs> 20,000 times and like faithfully transcribing the whole <laughs> song. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Yeah, seriously, I agree. Some people it's just background noise because it didn't catch them. Until right. the next song comes on. And then you have that one person, probably out of a hundred or a thousand, who really digs into it. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. But I guess, like, yeah. to, to, to just jump back to what you were saying, I think if we could somehow make it more accessible to people to, like, I don't know how. What do you mean more accessible? It, music has never been more accessible now than ever. Sure, but I mean, like, a studio live recording of something like that. I don't know how that would be more a live recording of a neo jazz sound like your sound. I guess yeah, that would be know. a fortune. No. Nah, that costs too much. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the that's the part that is uh, really in it. Like, sure, it, uh, even assuming like you you produce the whole album right, you get it on Spotify. Okay, like, how do you actually turn that into something that's a big production? Like what you see from the from the musicians that make it big. They put on these big productions, you know, Jacob Collier is then, you know, doing these giant stadium shows and shit. Like, how, how do you put something on that level? That is another question. Oh, my God. I, how did I forget Jacob Collier? <laughs> right. <laughs> there you go. 
That's your answer, That's I guess. Answer so you're yeah. talking about yeah, like how do you get to selling out arenas, if not sta- I mean stadiums, not arenas. I don't think there's a single jazz artist doing arenas. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not honestly. I'm not. I personally am not concerned about that. But the fact that you know, the fact that you can get up to that level, and the fact that like, do all artists deserve to play concert halls and stadiums? You know. Yes, maybe no. I, I don't know. That's a that's a tricky question. We have more artists today. It, just to, I'm just talking about the Bay Area. The artists per capita here in the Bay Area, even with the Exodus, is still so high that you're just one in a whole sea of okay, people. Okay, I don't. I've who heard. Are, I've who heard you, I've, this uh, is my. Take. I've heard you go down this down this conversation before. That's, a, that's my take. <laughs> I think people deserve people deserve attention, and there's only so much attention people can give, and attention is the true capital here where people are constantly, their attention is constantly being demanded from every angle. And how do you as an artist put something out that reaches and touches people on a deeper level? One thing that you need to understand, and you see this with like pop music, especially like the main popular stuff, you need to have certain other factors that a lot of people don't like to admit in the jazz world. A, you have to have a personality. Right. That whole not, Charlie Parker, I'm not that. going to speak to anybody. I'm not doing no interviews. I'm just hiding yeah. here. Just here for my <laughs> instrument, not here for the people. That don't work in popular <laughs> music. Maybe that's why I'm a jazz musician. No, no, no. <laughs> but that's a whole other conversation that people don't yeah, like to yeah. go into. Do you yeah. have the personality for it? Right. Okay, so you have the talent. Let's just say you have a song. Are you willing to do all the press and all the, you know, the tours. Are you willing to go on all the TV shows? Are you willing to go on all the radio shows? Are you? A lot of them aren't. Mm-hmm. Next, oh, I mean, if you know, if you can uh, sign me up, you know, I'm there. <laughs> no, I'm t- this is just the stuff that come up over all the episodes that you notice from what your other friends tell you that work with the record labels and the magazines yeah. and all that stuff. Jazz art is also notorious for I only want to do certain interviews with certain things. I'm like, I know one that said, pretty much said, I'd rather be played one time on a New York radio station than 20 times in a Colorado station. And I was just like, it's it's that desire for that sense of authenticity, right? It's like, that's where the desire, it comes from the desire to be authentic and not to quote unquote sell out. But like in order, my, my uh, favorite cheeky line to say nowadays is music is 90% visual. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, that was the whole like, other thing I was going to bring up, which was, right. do you have the look? Optics, yeah. Okay, I think if we could, I would like to steer the conversation a little <laughs> bit. Um, okay, yeah. go, go, steer it before we go. Okay, so here's two points I would like to tap into. Um, just because one is I'm going to explain my G- beef, my true beef with all the jazz world. So stay tuned. Um, and secondly, I would think it would I think uh, let's I would love for you to ask um, us a few questions just about the track as well while we still have the time. Um, so Which here's track? my beef. Oh, yeah. Go, life go, go. You first. Yeah. I'm sorry. Have, okay. Yeah. So. Actually, we'll save the B for the end. Why don't, do you want to ask some questions? Ask, do you want to save us? Get me excited. Yeah, no, no, no. Ask, <laughs> ask us about Lifeblood first. For those who are listening, stay tuned to the end if you want to hear the beef. It was legendary. Beef. Everybody, listen to Lifeblood, by the way. It was actually a very catchy song, at least to me. 
got my attention, made me listen to the rest of the whole track, all seven songs on the LP. Uh, go into that one first, then. Yeah, yeah. Pause um, the podcast, listen to that, and now listen no, to Okay, <laughs> so I guess I'll just talk about my creative process for Lifeblood specifically. Yes, let's do that. Um, Lifeblood was not meant to be a, a real track from the beginning. It was meant to be... I had this idea of like, oh, what if we had these beautiful 30-second interludes in between all the tracks, you know, like experimental or whatever. And um, here, can you mind holding this? Basically, here's how it came to me when I was in front of the, when I was in front of the piano. I think I was just like, uh, I heard like, I'm like, and then after that, I was like, ooh, what if it was like a... And then I was like, eventually I was like... Literally, so that was like, that was the whole idea. I was like, okay, here's a fun little, fun little thing, honestly. I did not think very much of it. Um, and I showed it to my bands and then immediately Joey was like, oh my God, Joey's messing around with it. And then I guess the other thing is I heard the drums, like, I like sort of, I have this thing, like the picture of this, the, the impression of the song came to me about to the band. And the first time we were like, just playing through it, like there was like, this energy where I was like, oh my God, this is like way cooler than like what I was hearing in my head. And then all of a sudden, Joey's like, let me just wait. This needs like a crazy baseline. Or do you want to talk about it, Joey? Like, where did you? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I basically was just like, look, you got two minor nine chords, you know, a whole step apart. Yes, it has been done before. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I kind of like to not if I retread ground that has been tread previously by artists, you know, who were more inspired than me on a particular day, you know, I, I don't like to retread the same shit over, over and over again, if it's not adding anything new. So I was like, okay, let's add some passing chords. Let's add an interesting baseline. Let's give it a little bit of contour, you know? So then, and then from there. And I also think Joey also thinks a lot about who's playing, who's playing on the track. And because Joey's considering like, okay, Noah, like such a killer basis we got to write some like sick sick ass lines right before. yeah yeah so i was like okay let's let's do this doubled up like baseline at the beginning um and i was just like the, i mean the, it's funny because like no was like bro how did you write that and i was like what do you mean it's just like thirds and fourths and, and a half step here and there you know and it's less like i was thinking so intervallically uh when i was like coming up with it but it's funny just because it ends up hitting people a certain way that's unpredictable. And then the other thing is like, even on addition to that, even I wouldn't expect like the take that we ended up with in the studio was just kind of magical for so many reasons. It's and it's, it's like, the just like the, the something about the, the improvisation, which to me, this is like the real jazz aspect, which is when you do it well, and when you have that dedication to the process and the respect for all the artists that you're playing with, and you're really listening to each other, um, you know, the magic happens and, and, and there's a something, the track becomes greater than the sum of its parts. And that, that's how I felt about it. Yeah. Lifeblood, I don't know. Like it definitely, I don't know what we were on that first day. Like we recorded, I believe 
December 15th through 17th at 25th Street um, of 2020 now. Wow. Um, no, 2021. So a, a little over a year ago. And that was the, that was like, probably, I know that was on the first day. And for some reason, we were just on fire that first day because we also recorded Icarus yeah. that day, nostalgic thing. Like everything, I don't know. Did we do D'Angelo that day? Yeah, I think so. I mean, no, no, no. D'Angelo does okay. it another day. I, I, I love D'Angelo. That's like, that's what, one of my one of my favorites. <laughs> I just love the freestyle. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no, that's one way possible, holding it down. That was just like a very last second. You know, he works at 25th Street. He's got his own KALW, like corner room thing where he records. Um for KLW and then he just happened to be there and he had to dip really quickly. Um, but I was like, yo, let me just come in for two minutes, like fit something and then leave. And then I, Joey was like, all right, we're just going to be improvising until one way's like ready. And then so one way just came in the studio and then just like beats already going. Yep. It's already going. And then I think what I love about that track too, is like, there's so much like, now it's like the same thing like improvisation but one way's another instrument right and you can hear it you exactly. can you can hear it it's like so beautiful the interplay between the band and one way and then like yeah <laughs> see the shit that blew my mind with that was like when i heard the everybody knows to pimp a butterfly and the the not the first track um you know the the intro um but the second track for sale i think it's no it's for free uh, you know, this dick ain't free. Everybody loves that. But, um, dude, that shit is just like, it's straight jazz, you know? And it's just like, it's the band improvising and Kendrick just going along with the flow and being there in the moment, just like any other instrument. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I mean, I, I'm almost certain, like, a lot of the bars were, were written, but, like, the delivery yes, yes. But, and, and also the band. You can tell the band is just playing, like, that free kind of almost Ornette Coleman shit. But, you know, it's got, like, the modern McCoy twist and it's got, I, I just, yeah. when, I, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, like a rapper is, is just an instrumentalist. You know, if you, if you think about it from a certain, from a communicative angle, a musical angle, you don't have to treat them so differently. It's all part of the same music. Right. And, and you can improvise within that and you can still make something beautiful. You know, it's not like, oh, there's a vocalist. Everything has to be perfectly arranged. For sure. For sure. <laughs> but okay. yeah, with live blood. Hmm? Oh yeah, with Lifeblood, it was legitimately only supposed to be like forty set, forty five seconds tops. Uh, and then this literally becoming a song, and I thought it was the best song on the album. So thank you, thank you. No, so th that's just how it works. Sometimes you know you have these plans, and then they all sort of fall apart beautifully. Yeah, know? yeah, good way to put it. <laughs> but yeah, I hope I hope part three. I think. I, yeah, I think I think there's some, and then part four as well. There's gonna be stuff that is more similar, I think, to that part two vibe. Okay. But what did you have any questions about what we were just talking about? I mean, I did kind of was curious about what you said, what you hate about jazz. Before I go. <laughs> yeah, oh yes, yeah. my. my <sighs> hey, I might agree with every single one. I might have probably said every single one of those things. That's. And I'll probably disagree with everything. No, this is my <laughs> personal beef. Okay? Um, and this is not just jazz, to be fair. It's also a lot of hip-hop. 
and it's a lot of others to blame. I'm a jazz musician, so it hurts hurts most person hurts the most for me personally. It's like none of y'all jazz artists. Um, when I say jazz artists, I'm talking about everybody that was at the Blue Note Festival recently. Like none of y'all actually care enough. Is this? Uh, t- please explain to me. Like Robert Glasper is h- having Dave Chappelle host the Blue Note Jazz Festival. Y'all are my heroes. Every single one in that lineup is my fucking hero. And Dave Chappelle is a fucking villain that contributes to the death of my people. And not one of y'all spoke, even said anything. Not one of y'all said one thing. And I think that festival really showed me more clearly than anything else that this industry is not made for people like me. True. And um, uh, did, like I would. They not. Oh, keep going. I'm sorry. And that, like, uh, ultimately, like, I don't want to chase trying to fit into the, their their little institutions and things they built up. Like, I'm gonna do this shit on my own. But yes, that's my beef. Like, I think a lot of people don't realize that to sort of not to just sort of stay silent and just stand the sidelines is to be complicit with like these abhorrent conditions that we live under. And I think a lot of musicians are willing to just put that stuff to the side if it's not convenient for them. Or this maybe they don't think about it. They don't really, it's not brought up to their attention, but yeah, it's frustrating. Like it's, it's hella frustrating. So like, do you want my opinion on that? Or do you want me just- Go for it, go for it. Okay. I didn't even know Dave Chappelle was going to be hosting it. I knew the lineup for the Blue Note Jazz Festival. That tells you how big, I guess, it was to the even yeah. people like me who follow jazz. Now, to the average person, I think they more see Dave Chappelle and then there's going to be jazz music being played. So I think it's just more of a marketing move. No, I hear you, but it's like... This poster is posted everywhere, like the Blue Note Jazz Festival with this legendary lineup, Every- you know, legendary, legendary lineup with Robert Glasper hosts Dave Chappelle. It's right there. It's right fucking there. And no, not only the I, artists. I, I, I honestly don't think the average person, not even jazz person, I'm just saying average American even knows Dave Chappelle's on this thing. I don't even think the I average would- person knows about the jazz festival part and i then, hear you but what i'm saying is like they should no what i'm saying is like dave Chappelle's name is on that flyer that people i'm saying on that flyer when dave like on everything that comes out like literally literally robert glass for posting photos with dave Chappelle, like hey my homie dave's here to host this show literally dave Chappelle was everywhere in the promotion and this and that and not once did i see any sort of from an artist or from really anybody, really. Everyone's like, that's cool. And that points to a a point that I have beef with our society in general. Like these transphobes, these top tier transphobes that have the most influence over the world do not get any sort of, um, they don't, what's the term? They're they're not, there's not, not a single, they don't, not a single repercussion for the, the truly heinous beliefs that they espouse. Like, and they like. <laughs> I they, mean, I can't relate to the chance journey. I could only talk about Dave Chappelle's stand up, and the thing I got from it 
and you could correct me, is that there was a person who he was pushing and was gave an opportunity to be a comic who became his friend. That person stand up for him, and then the trans community came after yes. him. I hear you, and do you know what is so sinister about that narrative? What? How, how can Dave... How dare Dave paint paint it as if he was the one supporting her and if, as her own community was the cause of her death? How can he say that with such confidence? How can he just be like, oh, yeah, I was there for her, you know, even though I'm transphobic. Like, oh, fuck. Even though, like, I, every joke I make about transphobic shit is just, like, literally a stab to the heart. I couldn't possibly have contributed whatsoever, even though I'm a legendary icon. And, of course, this trans person is, like, don't it, like, to me, for him to say that, like, for him to say that the trans community killed her. I think it was a bunch of other factors. It's just that when the the community kind of that's not went... the only thing he said on that special. Okay, hmm? he he said all sorts of fucked up shit on that special. Okay, like I missed some of it. Then I'm just talking about what I remember. For sure, and this is what I'm saying. It's like this is my beef with jazz, with the world. It's like y'all paid. Like actually, the mainstream media is not going to tell you one thing or another about what's happening in this world. And if you actually have to go out there and do the research if you don't want to be complicit to the suffering that these systems continue to cause. And that's not just for trans rights. That's for anything. Like, I mean, unless, I unless think, you go. Yeah, keep going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you were done. Could you? I mean, that's pretty much. Yeah, that's pretty much all I I don't want to cut you off. That's what I'm saying. Continue. No, <laughs> you good? I mean. I know. I just think that, you know, it's, it's so easy for people to just like live in their little like bubble status quo where they don't have to think so hard about these things. But like people, trans people are dying more. The recorded number of trans deaths in, in the United States grows larger every year. And that doesn't, don't even get me started about the conditions of what it's like to be trans in certain parts of like the Middle East or Asia or, or Africa. Like, look, even just keeping it to the scope of America, like black and brown trans women are getting mur murdered in like higher and higher numbers every year. And nobody gives a shit. And people like, people like JK Rowling and Dave Chappelle only contribute to this problem. And people truly need to do their own research and see this shit for themselves, or else, unfortunately, they are going to be complicit. I and get that, but if I'm correct at this number, it's like, I think it was 2% of the population identifies as trans. Um, and what's your, what's your point by saying that? The other 98% probably doesn't you know, isn't looking it up. I think, I mean, to me, it's like trans people have only really been in the public sphere openly for about five years, which is when when this stuff really started actually becoming public national attention and the issue of trans people in sports became more of a topic. I, I think like it's kind of similar to this issue where people will look, think back at the 70s, be like, oh, you know, barely any people had autism back then. It's like, no, this shit was just like, 
undiagnosed and you would just like, oh, that kid is a little weird. We don't have a name for that thing, right? I get we, that, we don't, but this we don't is way beyond we don't my expertise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even, I'm just being real, man. If you want to talk well, about the jazz, I think, yeah. I if think you want to talk so. about these issues, I really don't know anything. Right. For sure. <laughs> I'm being honest. I didn't know Dave Chappelle was hosting it. I knew Shaka Khan was going to be there. I knew Maxwell was going to be there. I knew Thundercat was going to be there. I didn't know Dave was going to be there. For sure. For sure. Yeah, and, but that's the thing is like, I know the artists knew. No, the but artists knew I think Blue Note literally saw it as I need people to show up. Yeah. And you know what? Why did, why were those tickets? Six hundred and fifty dollars, or some insane ass fucking amount. Do you Corporate think that's going to sales. All I'm saying that costs more than Coachella, motherfuckers. Like, yo. Yeah, but it's a it, different group. Coachella is what for yeah, people. And that's the sad part about jazz these days is like, who are we catering to? We're catering to, to be honest, old white men. That's I that's what. Don't know if old white men want to hear Snoop Dogg. <laughs> I mean, like, I hear you, but it's like that is where. Why else? Why else is jazz so expensive everywhere you go? It's like one of the most like classical is hella expensive, but jazz is almost more expensive. It's almost become like a luxury. Like you know, our local jazz, like Black Cat, like I, no shade towards the Black Cat, but it's hella expensive. That's like the main place for like top jazz artists to go in SF and it's so incredibly inaccessible for anybody that doesn't just have some real ass money you know what I'm saying like it's the real estate mix sir at least in New York it's real estate so they have to raise the prices to keep people in for sure but I mean you don't see hip-hop hip-hop made their own spaces because they weren't allowed to perform in a lot of these halls I hear you. That's what they they were selling their albums out of car trunks because stores wouldn't sell it. That is the hustle right there. No, really. If you want to go that route, we got to talk about it that route. Like they were literally asterized. Even if you go back to the Soul Train, they didn't even like them performing on Soul Train. The host called out artists like, I don't think this is music. For sure. I'm not trying to like throw shit at hip-hop or anything. I'm just saying, like, so, that shit is so much more... Ex- literally every other genre is more... Ex- well, I'm saying is that that's what they have to do to keep it afloat. So if it's marketed towards a certain group of people and those people have money to keep everything afloat, they're doing what mm-hmm. they have to do to stay aboard. Equilibrium. No, I, I, I hear you, but yes. it just makes me sad that the current state of jazz is that, like... It's like these really high-paying clientele that we're catering to, which is not how it used to be, and not how I feel like jazz should be. I don't think jazz should be gatekept like that, just personally. I mean, jazz, if you're going to go jazz hip-hop, like I said, it was literally illegal at one point. Yeah. And they were playing in (laughs) underground places where they had a force, you know, they had, what's it called? They made their own spaces to perform. Yeah. And cops yeah. were knocking their doors down, beating them up, and all that stuff. I hear you. That shit's wild. <laughs> oh, yeah, but whatever, whatever. We could go on this forever. So tell people where to find your album, how to contact you. Do you actually have a website? Because I couldn't find a website. 
Oh, the website for sure. It's um, still going up, right? It's it's up. There's the website. <laughs> oh, it's up. Um, but um, yeah. So you can find uh, primarily I update people on Instagram, and that'll be at oddity.mp3. Mm-hmm. Um, the website is thatoddity.com. But yeah, we've got you know the album is going to be rolling out over the next like few months. Part three is coming out on March. Spotify and Apple Music. It's everywhere. You know, there's a merch coming out soon. Um, and as well as just uh, we're hoping to tour the West Coast at some point. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I know we talked about a lot of topics today, but I want to thank you for inviting us and giving us space to share like what we've been up to. Okay. And what about you, Joy? Uh, anywhere you want to tell, have people reach out to you? Yeah, yeah. Well, to be honest, uh, I mean, my Instagram is basically just me posting, you know, piano improvs. But you can check it out. It's joseph.escobar. Uh, they're beautiful pieces of music, I promise. <laughs> um, my other tip that when you look up Oddity on Spotify, there's actually like three or four. Obviously, we're by far the most important. Uh, no, no, no shade, no shade. But um, I would just say look up Oddity and look up Odyssey. Odyssey spelled O D D. I-S-E-A, like the ocean. And uh, yeah, that that's that will take you right to the correct spot so you're not, you know, being misled by other <clears throat> inferior act. No, I'm just, no, I'm totally I think, kidding. I think on Spotify, we were one, basically huh? the first oddity at this point, but not on other yeah. services. But uh, no, I, I mean, I, I just, uh, I really appreciate being, you know, led on the podcast and, you know, throwing in my two cents. I like to keep, uh, I like to keep oddity here in no, 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 thank you for coming I on. Know. I mean, a different I just, swing. I didn't expect the conversations right. to go this way. I always <laughs> enjoyed them. Yeah, I, the, you know, it's funny because we live here. I, I, Maddie and I, both very, I think, abstract and deep thinkers, and and we can we could go we could go on for three, four. We have gone on for three, four hours on this kind of shit. <laughs> um, but you know, we the important thing is even when we disagree, we respect each other. We treat, you know, we love each other and we want, ultimately, we just want to bring beautiful music to the people, you know, and live a, you know, a good, clean, happy life, you know. Yeah. Eat good food, you know, the usual. <laughs> well, thank you both for coming on. Seriously, you've been great. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward sure, to part it, three. Because yeah. after what you told me about, I'm really going to listen to that. And part four, you said it's going to sound like part two. So you got my attention for two more albums <laughs> at least. Part, part four is even, I mean, so part three is like death. Part four is like a joyous temper. Oh, no, I want to hear the dark stuff and then the light stuff. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, it's coming. It's coming very soon. And it's just a warning for everybody. Um, if you have any sort of like trauma around like, Cops or self harm. I would I would uh, not listen to Death Beats and um, Death Reprise. I, I do listen to it and uh, you know confront your fears. That's my that's my advice. Just just a warning. Just a warning. Shit is fucked up. Got my attention. Well, everyone, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. Thank you all, and have a good day. Thank, Thank you. you. Take care. Thanks. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.